If you've heard about some changes to pensions tax legislation that were introduced in the March 2020 budget, but haven't had time to investigate them yourself yet, that is totally understandable because, as doctors, I'm sure you're aware, we've been a tiny little bit busy since March 2020. You may have also missed our recent pensions tax webinar, which we held on Medics Money, which again is totally understandable because as doctors, we've been a little bit busy recently. But in this podcast, we are going to summarize all the key points that you need to know. And there are some really, really important deadlines mentioned in this podcast, which if you miss them, you could be costing yourself a lot of money. So we talk about the changes to the tapering annual allowance threshold, which were introduced in March. We talk about how to uh, work out your pension input amount for the year. And we talk about whether the fact that the thresholds have been increased in the March budget means the pensions tax problem has gone away. Spoiler alert, unfortunately, it hasn't. If you're aware of the pension tax problem, but I've got no idea where to start, we give you a really short, simple summary of some things that you can do to help yourself. We go on to discuss what scheme pays is, how it works, and why there's a very important scheme pays deadline that lots of doctors need to be aware of. Finally, we talk about the pensions age discrimination case, which you might have heard as the McLeod and Sargent case, which we've already talked about quite a lot on the podcast. And we talk about that from a tax point of view where there is potentially some good news. The other key thing that I need to point out about that uh, discussion is that we recorded this podcast before the government released the results of that consultation. So those have now been released. And as you would, of course, expect, we are recording a podcast on that in about five minutes time actually so when you're listening to what george is saying about the mcleod and sergeant just bear in mind that it was recorded before the consultation was released and if you want to get the latest news on that the way to do that is to subscribe to this podcast we talk a lot on this podcast about the complexities and problems associated with the NHS pension, but the last five minutes of the podcast, George, the specialist medical accountant, tells us why in a heartbeat he would swap his private pension for the NHS pension. And I think that's really important to bear in mind. The NHS pension is still a fantastic deal for the vast majority of it. It does have its complexities and it's annoying that it's become so complicated and difficult for us to understand, but it really is still for the vast majority of us, a good deal. As with all Medics Money podcasts, the information presented here is for entertainment only and does not constitute any form of financial advice. It's also worth pointing out that we recorded this episode on January the 12th, 2021, which is worth bearing in mind when we're talking about the various deadlines during the podcast. Welcome to the Medics Money podcast. My name is Dr. Tommy Perkins and I'm a GP. And my name is Dr. Ed Cantelo, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. And yes, you did hear that right. Not only is Ed a doctor, he's also a chartered accountant and a tax advisor. Medics Money empowers doctors and other professionals like you to make better financial decisions. So on today's podcast, I'm delighted to welcome George Crow, who is an accountant from Larkin Gowan. Morning, George. Morning, Tommy. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Uh, absolutely. Uh, do you want to just uh, first time for you on any podcast you just told me? So do you want to uh, introduce yourself to the Medics Money listeners? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is George, as Tommy said. I have worked at Larkin Gowan for 10 years now. Um, God, that, that feels uh, like an age. Um, I, I specialise within the medical sector within our firm and have been doing so for 
nine and a half of my 10 years. So uh, have a wealth of experience in dealing with uh, GPs, consultants, um, anyone that works within the medical sector. Um, and more recently than not, uh, have sort of developed a sub-specialism within the medical sector, which is to do with the pension which I know is a topic of choice for uh, medics money. So it seems very apt and um, hopefully I'll be able to share some of that experience with you guys today. Yeah. And um, we're recording this in the middle of a COVID pandemic and uh, understand that you are currently self-isolating at the moment. Is that right, George? Yeah, unfortunately, my, my other half tested positive for COVID over the weekend. So we are currently self-isolating. She works at our local hospital um, in the finance team there as well. And unfortunately, came to contact with someone just after the new year. It was due to get a vaccine Friday, went and got a test just to be sure that she didn't have COVID um, and got a message yesterday saying that she unfortunately has it. So we are now in the joys of, uh, of self-isolation. Not that you could really go out and do much now anyway. So, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm not in self-isolation, but my life is probably pretty similar to yours, actually. Um, not leaving the house much except to go to work. Um, and you can work from home like now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think the last time I left the house was probably Christmas Day just to go around Zara's family. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, similar situation <laughs> well uh i'm sure everyone will join us in wishing your partner well and i'm sure she'll be absolutely fine um shall we get into today's topic then because as you mentioned we are talking about the pension because there's so much going on with the pension at the moment there's some really important deadlines coming up which lots of doctors need to be aware of to avoid uh missing the boat uh so to speak so um shall we start with a little uh recap about uh the changes that were announced to the tapering of the annual allowance in the 2020 budget yeah sounds like a good place to start um so what happened uh previously was the tapering was introduced from 2016-17 uh, and from 2016-17 if your threshold income was to exceed 110,000 pounds then you would have to do a second test which was to test whether your adjusted income then exceeded 150,000 pounds just sort of give a little bit of uh perspective into what those two figures are. Threshold income is broadly your taxable income, not including any personal allowances, so the deduction of the usual personal allowance. Um, and then your adjusted income is that taxable income figure plus the uh, pension input amount or the growth in your pension schemes throughout the year. Those thresholds changed when uh, Rishi introduced the budget for 2020-2021 and they, those thresholds changed upwards to 200000 and £240,000 respectively. What that means is that the majority of people will now be outside of the tapering of threshold uh, of your annual allowance, so there shouldn't be as many people suffering from the big restriction to that £40,000 allowance in the year. Yeah. So in some ways, good news um, because less people will be affected. But unfortunately, there will still definitely be some people that are affected. And we'll talk about that in a bit more detail later. Uh, so that's a really good um, summary of the changes that were announced way back in March. I mean, it seems like a different age now. I remember when that came out, I think it's the start of March. And then by middle of March, you know, it was it was kicking off with COVID, wasn't it? So, um, okay. So you mentioned um, your pension input amount uh, there. Uh, how do you work out what your pension input amount is for the year? 
Unfortunately, that's uh, a very difficult calculation to do, especially for the NHS pension. Um, so for private pensions, it's, it's relatively simple. It's basically your contributions um, that you make and your employer makes to your pension scheme. So um, with the NHS pension, it's a different type of scheme. It's a defined benefit scheme, not a defined contribution scheme. So your pension input amount within the NHS pension scheme isn't the amount that you are contributing. So it's not the amounts that are deducted from your monthly pay slips. It is actually the amount that your pension grows by within that tax year. There's there's certain things that are available to you to be able to um, determine what those figures are. NHS pensions should provide you with a pension savings statement each year. Um, they have in the past provided those only to the people that have breached the £40,000 allowance, which obviously interacts with if you were tapered and your growth was, say, £35,000, they might not, not necessarily notify you that you would have an annual allowance problem. But if your growth was £41,000, they would let you know. <laughs> so you can't always rely on them to provide the information as and when you need it. Um, and if you're a GP, obviously you submit your, your superannuation certificates in the February following the end of the tax year. So they don't actually know what your pensionable pay is and what can, and they can't then work out what your growth is within that year to be able to give you a pension savings statement before you need to file your tax return. So it's kind of a vicious circle. Um, you sort of need the information, but you can't easily get the information. One thing that is available for you to work out yourselves what the uh, what the growth is is the BMA Goldstone Pensions Modeler. It's available to BMA members, um, but it's only for consultants, and obviously that is completely reliant on the information that's being put in being accurate um, and obviously correct. The other alternative is to seek professional advice from a financial advisor um, from a an accountant who knows what they're talking about. Um, and this is obviously a specialised area. So a medical uh, specialist, financial advisor or, or, or accountant will be best placed to be able to advise you on those, those issues. Um, so obviously, as I say, with NHS pensions, providing you a pension savings statement, they will base it on the information that they're provided with as well. So it's entirely reliant on your employer, for example, providing the correct figures from an annual SD55 update. Now, with the issues that we've sort of seen with the SD55 updates is when you have an arrears payment, um, sometimes they those aren't backdated to the correct pension year um, and they need to be. So it can sort of you can receive a, a pension saving statement and that pension saving statement can actually show that you've got a significant amount of growth when actually that, that should be split over a couple of years and pr probably um, be well within your limits. So don't always rely on the figures that you receive from the pension agency. 90% of the time they are right, but just be aware that there could be some issues. So even if you have received the information, you've put the information into the Goldstone Pensions Modeler. It's always worth just having a <clears throat> excuse me, just having a conversation with a, uh, a professional, just so that they can quickly check over those figures and let you know whether there are any issues um, potentially hiding in the woodwork that you should be aware of.
Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think two two really key things that jump out for me there is that NHS pensions should provide you a pension saving statement if you go over that forty thousand uh, limit, but they don't know if you're tapered. So if you don't get a brown, the dreaded brown envelope, which I'm sure lots of listeners have received, but if you don't get the dreaded brown envelope, it does not mean that you don't have a problem. Is that right? Exactly. Um, so yeah, like you say. <laughs> They only see half of the story. They'll only see your pension input amount. They won't see what your taxable income is because that's reported to HMRC. Now, NHS pensions should provide the, the growth figures to HMRC once they've been calculated. And it could then be that HMRC come knocking on your door and saying, why haven't you submitted a tax return with an annual allowance tax charge on it? Um, and then that's a completely different issue and something which could obviously lead to greater implications for you. Yeah. And um, the pensions modeler that you mentioned is a really useful resource. But like any kind of modeler, if the numbers that you put into it are not accurate, then the numbers that come out of it will be not accurate. So rubbish in, rubbish out, I've heard um, modelers described as. And am I right in saying that if a new client came to you, the first thing that you would do would give the numbers a look over to make sure that they're accurate? Because I know as a GP, um, I'm not going to say, well, I'm going to say Capita are uh, performing suboptimally, shall we say. Hopefully that will keep the lawyers <laughs> off our back. But, uh, you know, for GPs in particular, the numbers are a nightmare and um, mistakes in pension records is just so common that if you haven't got the right numbers, the modelers are going to really struggle. Absolutely. And you mentioned practitioners there and, and dealing with Capita. Um one of the things that you have to do is submit your superannuation certificates and they then have to pass the details onto NHS pensions. We've unfortunately seen records where they've not been updated since 2014-15, 2015-16. So they're several years out of date. Um, NHS pensions can't then provide us with the details and it, it makes everything a lot harder to, to put together. So you can't always rely on the information being available nor being 100% accurate. So, yeah, always worthwhile getting someone else to double check um, through everything. Yeah. I mean, it's that absolutely crazy situation that, as you say, some GPs records are nearly four years out of date. Um, OK, uh, so the new thresholds mean that most people um, will have the full 40,000 annual allowance, which is good. Does that mean that the annual allowance tax charges are a thing of the past? For some people, yes, but for quite a few people, no. Um, it, it's going to be quite common. Uh, it already is quite common to see pension input amounts exceeding £40,000, and it's going to become more common as the years go on. Um, so what you have to assess is the growth across all of your schemes. Now, most people now have transitioned over to, to the 2015 scheme, if you were a member of the 1995-2008 scheme, whilst you are no longer an active member of those schemes, you can still achieve growth within those, those pensions. Those two schemes, the 95 and 2008 scheme, are final salary schemes, and they retain that final salary link as long as you are an active member of the scheme. So if for example, your pensionable pay increased significantly as an officer, moving up a, a banding, um, getting a, a national clinical excellence award, for example, then they can trigger a, a quite significant figure of growth within either the 95 or 2008 scheme. Um, so you have to assess that as part of it. 
Uh, and then you also have to assess the 2015 scheme. Um, the 2015 scheme is, is a bit easier to assess because effectively your earnings go into a pot um, and that pot will continue to grow year on year. Now, while I say that it will continue to be an issue and will become more of an issue over future years is because your 2015 scheme um, will grow by a dynamization figure. Now, that dynamization figure is 1.5% above CPI. Your pension is allowed to grow by CPI, so any excess, i.e. the 1.5%, which is being applied to the pot, will contribute to additional growth within that year, plus whatever you're pensioning within the year itself. So it's quite easy to to exceed 100 or to exceed the 40,000 pound allowance. Just to give you some examples and and just sort of set some current um, issues uh, or thresholds for uh, an officer. If your pensionable pay is around about 130,000 pounds, then the growth in the 2015 scheme alone will be roughly 40,000 pounds. Now, obviously, that doesn't then take into consideration any growth within the 1995 or 2008 scheme or indeed any private pensions that you may have. So as you can see, it's quite easy to exceed um, the £40,000 allowance. And for practitioners, it's actually less than that because of the differences in terms of how the calculations are, are worked out for the varying different schemes as well. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's really useful information because often people are like, well, how do I know that I, I'm affected? So you've given them some rough estimates uh, of the kind of uh, numbers that may lead to you being affected. And there's so many variables at play here uh, that, uh, you know, it's difficult to work out. Um, uh, on a previous, can you just tell us, you mentioned officer and practitioner. We definitely defined those terms on a previous podcast. And obviously, I know what they mean. But can you just, for the listeners' benefit, what is an officer and what is a practitioner? Yeah, so a practitioner is general practitioner, um, locum work, uh, someone who does uh, work that is effectively self-employed. An officer, um, crudely speaking, is obviously your your consultants, the people that work at your hospitals that pay through PAYE. Um, so yeah, if, obviously, if you're if you're a consultant, then you are on a banding, you're on a pay scale, um, and I believe that the current bandings. Roughly, if you are earning £130,000, you are on about level seven or eight, uh, 14 years plus, and you're the people that uh, will have earnings around about £130,000 pensionable pay, which could obviously cause you to have an annual allowance charge, as I previously mentioned. Awesome. Okay. Um, so there's been a lot in the news about scheme pays at the moment. And um, for some of our listeners, this might be the first time they've ever heard about scheme pays. Um, so imagine that you you get a shock, uh, get the dreaded brown envelope, uh, because you weren't aware of the charges, which so many doctors, unfortunately, are are in that situation. And that's why we started Medics Money, so we can raise awareness among in the profession about these problems. But say you got caught out, right? Um, so what are the options available to someone who does have an annual allowance tax charge? How can they pay it? Yeah. Um, so obviously, like I say, it's, it's never a nice thing being told that you've got to pay tax on uh, pension growth. You've not even received your pension, but you're paying tax on it. It's, it seems a bit backwards. Um, but uh, the choices are to either pay the tax charge personally, um, which obviously 
potentially a significant uh, amount of money. Um, we've seen some where they're five, six figures sums. Um, the alternative is to elect for the NHS pension scheme to pay the tax charge on your behalf. Um, tax deadlines are still in force. So obviously if, if you're paying it personally or the NHS pension scheme is paying it, HMRC will expect that payment to be made to them by the usual deadlines, 31st of January. Um, the issue that prevents or presents itself with a scheme pays election is the payment dates from NHS pensions. Um, they obviously receive a load of scheme pays elections um, throughout the year. They all come in at varying times. So to simplify the process for them, they pay the tax charges over to HMRC on a quarterly basis. Uh, now those those quarterly payments don't tie in with the 31st of January um, payment deadline. The next payment that they're going to make is the 11th of February, for example. So if you haven't submitted your, your election already, the next payment that you will be eligible for will be the payment that will be made in May. So you can quickly see how different uh, it can uh, can be met or difference um, in terms of the payment deadlines and the payment um, dates from NHS pensions will be made. Um, the other thing to, to factor in is if you do pay that tax charge personally, this is a annual tax charge. So what will happen is you will potentially need to make uh, an initial payment in the January of one and a half times of what the annual allowance tax charge is because you'll be paying on account of the tax charge for next year. So it can quite easily become a very large tax bill, a very large unexpected tax bill as well that is due potentially at the end of this month um, which uh, is obviously not a nice thing to have to tell clients, individuals, and for individuals to find out as well. So it's just something to be aware of. And this is this is why careful planning um, and professional advice is key here to, to understand your position and your exposure early so that you can make decisions um, on uh, various different things and indeed make decisions and plan for how the tax charge is going to be paid um, and make sure that it's paid in advance of deadlines so that HMRC haven't got the opportunity to charge late payment interest. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point to make there that these tax charges are not inevitable at all. Um, it's perfectly possible with the right advice and using the right things uh, to avoid the tax charges uh, completely. Is that a fair statement? Absolutely, yeah. Um, careful planning, careful advice is, is key. Obviously, we can't do anything about historic position, but what we can do is project it forward, um, give you an idea of the likely implications. Um, for officers, you obviously have increment dates, um, so you, you generally know when your pay is going to increase. What we can do at that point of knowing what your pay increase is going to be before it's happened, we can say this is going to be the implication for you, um, and you can then uh, understand uh, what the position is going to be going forward so you can seek that professional advice from an independent financial advisor and they'd be able to tell you the best course of action. Yeah, and I think that's a, a key point really that all of this is potentially avoidable but you, if you do nothing, it's not going to end that well. Uh, okay, that was uh, really inf interesting. Um, so how does a scheme pays election work and what are, there's loads of deadlines involved here so tell me uh, what the deadlines involved are for making a scheme pays election? 
yeah so uh i'm sorry if you can hear my dog yapping away in the background <laughs> it's totally fine actually uh we had steve webb so steve webb on the podcast a little while ago and uh, his dog uh, gate crashed as well it's a nice labrador what what sort of dog you got uh not quite as big as a labrador it's a, it's a fluffy pomeranian so um, quite, quite noisy but uh yeah no it's yeah. all the rage to have a dog uh crash uh, the podcast i say you're in good company because uh so steve webb's dog uh joined us uh like crashing into his desk so uh yeah i'll just go for the question again um and i don't think we should edit that out either um how does the scheme pays election work and are there any deadlines that are needed to make an election yeah. Um, so there, there's various different deadlines. So obviously you've got your normal tax filing deadline of 31st of January. That is when you have to obviously file your tax return. And on that tax return, you would need to put the, the relevant tax charge and you would need to make an entry on there to say that you are going to elect for the NHS pension scheme to pay the tax charge on your behalf. The scheme pays election deadlines are slightly different. So they are the 31st of July um, in the year after the end of the tax year. So for the current tax year that we're preparing tax returns for at the moment, 5th of April 2020, any scheme pays elections would need to be submitted with NHS pensions by the 31st of July 2021. Um, they have in the past been relatively strict with that deadline. Um, my understanding is that there's potentially some wiggle room um, however, the only way to absolutely guarantee that they will accept a scheme pays election is to make sure that it is in uh, in advance of that 31st of July deadline. So, um, yeah, just make sure that you've got everything sorted and everything in place beforehand and you'll be well away. Awesome. Um, anything else that we need to know about that? Um, what about uh, if you pay late? Do they? What's the interest situation? Yeah, so I mentioned obviously before about uh, NHS pensions payment dates to HMRC. Um, so because they don't pay in line with that 31st of January deadline, it is possible and uh, has actually happened in the past for HMRC to charge late payment interest on a scheme pays election. So NHS pensions then make the tax payment, say, in the May um, they HMRC can then charge three, four months worth of interest on that late payment. That isn't NHS pension schemes um, problem or NHS pension scheme won't pay that on your behalf. The interest payment would come to you as an individual and it would be up to you to find the money to be able to pay the interest. Um, obviously, the interest is going to be significantly lower than what the tax charge is. Um, but it's just something to factor in. So this is where it comes back to knowing what your position is early, getting everything done as soon as possible. Um, and then you can sort of be assured that everything is dealt with um, and there won't be any surprise bills coming out of the uh, out of the woodwork. Yeah. Um, and if you're wondering about uh, George mentioned payments on account and how self-assessment works, we're not going to go into that now. But if you look on our blog uh, in the tax uh, section, there is a real nice explanation about uh, how payments on account work and everything like that, because it's uh, it's mildly confusing, I would say. So uh, there's a nice article about that. All right. So um, you mentioned uh, the budget um, and NHS pensions announced that they would pay the annual allowance tax charges for 2019-2020 year. Uh, and now this is really important because knowing how this works could save you a lot of money if you, unless you miss the boat. So tell us about uh, how that works for the 1920 tax year only. Yeah. So as you say, Tommy, this is a one-off uh, offer. 
Um, it was effectively to get people to do some additional work within uh, general practice and um, in the hospitals to try and clear some waiting lists because people were realising that this annual allowance tax charge was such a significant thing that they were refusing to do um, additional work, quite rightly. Um, now, what you have to do for the 2019-20 year is basically do everything exactly the same as you would do if you were electing for the scheme to pay in any normal year. So complete tax return, complete scheme pays election. There's just one additional step. Um, there is now a compensation form which has been released. Um, basically, you just need to complete that and submit it to the relevant body. Uh, it's different for an officer and different for a practitioner. So if you are an officer, you have to get the HR department of your employer to fill in a section, and then that is submitted directly to NHS pensions. If you are a practitioner, then your employer is PCSE, Primary Care Support England, um, and you have to submit everything through them for them to process to then pass to NHS pensions. Um, so it's, it's not a massive step and it's not a massive form to complete you're just filling in your details there's no numbers or anything that needs to go on it so it's um, not too complicated to complete um, but yeah it's just an additional step that you have to have to make sure that you've done so that when you come to draw your benefits you aren't restricted by the annual allowance tax charge which would have been paid by the NHS pension scheme for 2019-20. Yeah. And just to reiterate the deadline on that. So this is really important because um, you've got to do something about this now, basically. So the deadline for that, uh, submitting that form is? Again, <laughs> it's yeah. another different deadline. Um, so you've got obviously everything that you would need to submit in usual fashion, 31st of January for your tax return, 31st of July for the scheme pays election. The uh, deadline for the submission of the compensation form is that first of march the following year so again for 2019-20 it's, it's 31st of march 2022 um so you've got a little bit longer to do that um because they've only just released the form so they've given everyone a little bit of extra time to do that i believe anyway so yeah okay um and what happens if you don't include an annual allowance tax charge on your return either you know presumably because you didn't know about it yeah, so this comes back to not burying your head in the sand and, and just sort of saying, I've not been contacted by NHS pension, so I've not got a problem. Um, so quite tricky, uh, but HMRC have called tax returns self-assessment tax returns for a reason. Um, they are your own assessment of your own tax position. So it's up to you to ensure that they are complete, correct, um, everything is reported accurately, and therefore, if you have an annual allowance tax charge, it's your prerogative um, to include the details on there and make sure that the relevant tax is paid or the relevant elections are made to NHS pensions um, for them to pay the, uh, the tax charge. They won't accept the excuse of, well, I didn't get told by NHS pensions that I had growth um, which exceeded my annual allowance. So it's up to you to make sure that you've done everything within your powers to calculate the position and, and have reported anything on your tax return. If you don't make the relevant disclosures on your return and the return is subsequently amended, then HMRC can and will charge late payment interest on the additional amount of tax that's due from the amended return. 
Um, and it's also possible, I would suggest, given the complexities involved, it's unlikely, but it's still possible that HMRC could charge penalties um, for the errors involved in submitting the original return. Um, so I would suggest just making sure that everything is done um, and checked over by a professional where possible. Um, and if you did want to elect for the scheme to pay, as I mentioned before, the various different deadlines, if you are amending a tax return after the 31st of July, then NHS pensions are under absolutely no obligation to accept that election. They could do it, um, but I would suggest that they don't they don't have to. So that could then potentially leave you with a very hefty tax bill that you've got to pay personally, um, potentially some late payment interest, potentially some penalties from it from um, HMRC. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly um, important that everything is submitted in your original tax return within the deadlines um, and everything is calculated and, and you're assessing your position correctly. Yeah, and what I'm taking from this is just don't miss the deadline. Um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, that is a really great summary of the annual allowance and the changes and scheme pays. So if a consultant or a GP is listening to this right now uh, and they've done nothing about their pension, they've never got a total award statement or anything like that, you know, it can be really overwhelming about where to start. What what can they just give them some steps so they can, I mean, you've got to do something, right? So doing nothing is not an option. Where Where do they even start with this? Yeah, so there's there's a few places to start. You mentioned the total reward statement. Um, that is a very useful tool available to you to be able to sort of have a look at your position. It will update year on year um, for officers. It will update usually around about October. If you miss the October run, then it's usually December. Um, so just sort of assessing that and, and checking over that on a year by year basis can be really useful. Um, what you can't do is look back at previous statements, which is frustrating, but um, it's not the end of the world. The other thing that you can do is contact NHS Pensions directly and request that they provide you with a statement. Um, so they are available to provide annual allowance calculations and annual allowance statements. They can be really useful and um, a good summary of your position. They will provide or can provide you with statement of earnings, um, statement of membership. So if you get the statement of membership, it's important to sort of check through that just to make sure that they hold the correct information and you're not missing anything. I've seen some before where they've got a few periods of, of missing um, membership in there uh, for whatever reason. Um, so it's, it's been a case of trying to get those corrected for the individuals. So like I say just making sure that everything's checked over. And the other area is professional advice as well. So um, speaking to a financial advisor, an accountant that knows what they're talking about, because this is a very complicated area, unfortunately, as you've all seen and heard today. Um, so, yeah, so seeking professional advice is a very good, useful source. You're all very busy people doing your day job um i know that the last thing that i would want to do after doing a long shift in the hospital a long shift at the practice would be to come home and try and work out my annual allowance position this is certainly not something that's easy to do um and yeah speaking to someone who sort of does it regularly um is is very useful even if it's just to check your calculations and sort of check over your position 
it'll just give you a little bit of peace of mind that what you are doing is correct. Yeah, I mean, this is a super specialist area, and it's one of the reasons why on Medics Money we only recommend specialist medical accountants like George and uh, the 42 others that we have and specialist independent financial advisors because um, you know, non-specialists, they just aren't aware of all of these intricacies. And for that reason, they are more likely to make mistakes because, I mean, just listening to you talk, it's obvious how complicated it is. Um, right. So that's a great summary. And hopefully everyone's got some action points to get started with there. So that that was super complicated, no doubt. Um, <laughs> there's a but, right? Because, I mean, it seems uh, it seems it seems crazy, but it gets more complicated. And that is because uh, of something that we've talked about before on the podcast called the McLeod and the Sergeant um, case. But what is the pension scheme consultation and what does it mean for members of the NHS pension? I mean, that's a real easy question for you, George, right? This yeah, yeah there, there's, there's a nice one word answer to that. Yeah, one. you got three <laughs> sentences. <laughs> yeah, um, unfortunately not. Uh, so the public service pensions all underwent a change um, to make sure that they were sustainable and affordable, um, which was why the 2015 scheme was introduced, um, obviously back in 2015. Now, <laughs> There was there were claims that the introduction of the scheme was ageist because the younger members were all transitioned to the new scheme. The older members obviously did not. They retained benefits within the original scheme, the 95 and 2008 scheme. So there was a claim put to the courts, uh, and in 2018 there was a case that found that this. Uh, introduction of the 2015 scheme did actually discriminate against the younger members. So those members that have been affected by a transition to the 2015 scheme will now be given a choice of which pension scheme they want to be in for the remedy period. Uh, and that remedy period is from the 1st of April 2015, when the 15 scheme was introduced, and through to the 31st of March 2022 which after that date, everyone will transition to the 2015 scheme anyway. So what you can do within that remedy period is choose between either your new scheme, the 2015 scheme, or choose your old scheme um, and retain benefits for that seven-year period within the 1995-2008 scheme. Um, the consultation that was published sought views on when it would be best to make that decision of retaining benefits either within the 2008 or 2015 or the 95-2008 scheme. Um, it would either be uh, an immediate choice, which would be implemented in 2022, or a deferred choice underpin, which would then be implemented at the point of retirement. Um, so if you go down the deferred choice underpin, then members would revert back to your original uh, membership um, within the original schemes, the 95-2008 scheme for that seven-year period initially. And then at the point of retiring, you could potentially then choose to move over to the 2015 scheme from the 1st of April 2015. That consultation has now been closed um, and we are just waiting to hear what the outcome is, whether they've gone down the immediate choice or the uh, deferred choice underpin. And after that, then it will no doubt prompt a, a lot more um, complicated calculations and discussions to have with clients um, about the implication of that. Yeah, I mean, 
just talking to the experts on medics money uh, about this you know it is some it seems ridiculous that it could get more complicated than what we talked about at the start of the podcast but this um, McLeod Sergeant um, you know pension scheme consultation rectification for some people not everybody but for some people is going to be a ridiculously complicated decision um, so we'll leave the financial advice side to the financial advisors but from a tax you know your, your tax uh, that's, that's your thing from a tax point of view uh, what uh, impact could this have this uh, pension scheme consultation yeah. <laughs> Again, unfortunately, not an easy answer. So because your current positions for annual allowance purposes are being calculated on your membership at the moment. So if you did transition on the 1st of April 2015, they're being based on your membership within the 2015 scheme and your uh, pension entitlements within your original schemes. This judgment could well change the membership over that seven-year period, so from 1st April 2015 right through to the 31st of March 2022. So if that changes in terms of your membership uh, within the schemes, then obviously that could have some impacts on the tax position, the growth um, within the relevant schemes, um, and the annual allowance excesses that could be chargeable to tax over that seven-year period. So there's a few key things here. If there are additional tax charges that arise as a result of a change in membership or a change in um, treatment, then they are bound by the four-year statutory time limit to amend your tax returns. So if, for example, um, we're looking at this in uh, this year, they can't go back to 2015-16 and say, you owe X amounts of additional tax, please pay it over, because that's now outside of the four-year time window. They can, however, go back to 2018-19 and say, you owe additional tax, pay it over. If, on the other hand, it turns out that the change results in an overpayment of tax, you've paid HMRC too much, that isn't bound by the rules of the four year. So you can go back for the full seven years. So previous example, if you go back to 2015-16, you can obtain a refund for any additional tax that you may, that you paid, which is in excess um, as a result of the change in uh, membership for that seven-year period. So some potentially good news in that they can only go back four years, but you can go back seven. Um, but like I say, it's not as easy as that because there's potential that the four years um, could or the change could result in additional tax charges, um, which obviously... HMRC will come knocking on your door and asking for. Yeah, uh, there's a glimmer of good news there because if I understand that correctly, basically, if you owe HMRC money as a result, they've got four years, you know, statutory time to claw that back. And after that time, it's tough luck on HMRC. But if the changes mean that HMRC owe you uh, money, uh, you can get it out of them for seven years. Is that right? Spot on. Yep. Four years for them, seven years for you. Brilliant. Uh, okay. Um, so yeah, we got a load of information about this. We've done a podcast about this whole thing uh, individually. I think that was episode 12 or actually it's episode 13, unlucky for some. Um, but what sort of things should, you know, a broad overview be considered at the point of making a decision about this if you're affected? Yeah. So there's many things that you need to consider um, about making the decision. 
Uh, they include the value of your pension at your retirement, um, whether the scheme pays an automatic lump sum. So the 95 scheme pays an automatic lump sum. The 2008 and 2015 schemes don't. Um, the retirement age is associated with different schemes, ill health retirement benefits, survivor benefits, um, tax implications as well. Obviously, there, there's various different things um, that would need to be factored into any decision that's made. And that is certainly where the help of a financial advisor comes in um, in useful, just because they will be able to run through all of those impacts and implications for you. So having a chat and having a sit down with someone who knows what they're talking about will be massively useful for someone doing that. Um, we can obviously run the figures and, and do the calculations as accountants. What we aren't licensed to do, unfortunately, is to provide financial advice. Um, so we can't say you should do this, should do that. So we act in tandem with a lot of financial advisors um, that have sort of been there and done that on the NHS pension scheme so that we can give our clients the, the most rounded um, information, most rounded and useful information for them and their specific circumstances sort of yeah. as one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that because, um, as you know, on Medics Money, we have accountants like George, but we also have uh, specialist independent financial advisors as well. Um, and there's a huge overlap uh, on what you guys do uh, and none more so in pensions. And I think that's really good kind of so, so a lot of doctors ask me, I've got a pensions problem. Do I need an accountant or a financial advisor? And it's probably the answer is both. But you just gave a really nice breakdown there of how it splits down. So essentially, accountants run the numbers, as you said, and do the tax calculations. But if you're asking things like uh, about what you said about where to take the automatic lump sum or when to retire, etc., then that would fall into the financial advice category. Is that is that a fair summary? Yeah, fair summary indeed. Yeah. yeah, we can obviously run the figures and let you know what the tax implications are, but we can't tell you what is best for you and your your individual circumstances. Financial yep. advisor is is the, the go to person there. They'll be able to take a look at everything, your entire financial situation, um, and give you the advice that's best suited to you individually. So yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, as I say, on Makes Money we have both, and they all work really nicely and closely together. And we had a massive uh, meet up with NHS Pensions Medics Money Meets a little while ago, where we tried to smooth out some wrinkles and help everybody out basically just so that uh, we can help doctors better okay uh, george that was an amazing run through um and we dealt really well with the dog interruption who i can see <laughs> sitting on your lap um shame podcasting is uh, not a visual medium but um looks really nice your little dog and uh, she kept the noise down um after her interruption um so at the end of podcasts uh where we're talking about the pension it all seems like doom and gloom i always like to ask you know experts like yourself You've presumably got a private pension. You don't have an NHS pension. If you could swap your private pension for an NHS pension, would you? And why? Absolutely, in a heartbeat. Um, I mean, the NHS pension scheme is one of the best pension schemes that is around. Um, obviously, with a with my private pension, effectively, it grows by by what I pay in. Um, so it, it's, it's kind of limited by what we can afford to put into our own pension schemes the nhs pension scheme um, will continue to grow um, year on year it's uh, it's much better value um, you get a much higher pension um, and yeah it's it's just overall the benefits that you receive from it as well the ill health benefits the the death in service the um, automatic lump sum basically everything that you can want 
from a pension, from a financial per perspective, and indeed from a personal protection um, perspective as well, um, it is massive. It's so much better than a private pension, um, which is basically just you putting into your own retirement fund. You've got so much additional additional support and um, additional aspects available to you. Yeah, and I think if you take only one thing away from today, it could be that really, because we, you know we see loads of doctors who get so frustrated by not being able to get the right numbers, scared of a tax charge, uh, all of these reasons that they just think, right, that's it, I've had enough of this, I'm opting out, I'm leaving the NHS pension. Um, and that is a very, very, very massive financial decision. The vast majority of us are still much, much better off um, in the pension than out. Uh, and I would say if you are thinking about opting out, just speak to a financial advisor who knows what they're talking about um, because it's a really massive decision. And I think uh, George would swap to the NHS pension in a heartbeat and he perfectly illustrated just a few of the reasons why they're Okay, brilliant. Um, well, thanks so much for your time today, George. I hope that everything goes well with your partner and uh, the coronavirus. And um, thanks so much for everything that you do. Um, I will drop your contact details in the show notes uh, below uh, so that if people have liked what they've heard, they can get in touch with you. Um, and we really look forward to welcoming you back to the Medics Money podcast in the future. Thanks so much for your time today. No, thank you very much, Tommy. Pleasure to be in here. Thank you. Cheers, George.